0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good morning, everyone. This is Jeremy Evans, your host of Believe in Sports Law via the Believe Podcast Network. Today is Monday, March 9th, 2020. And today's episode is on how regulation or change in terms of carriers for live broadcast for sports does not guarantee access. So we're going to go through a little bit of a history here, but mostly focusing on the current litigation uh, that the NFL and DirecTV is going through. They were sued by uh, some consumers and some other folks. And uh, at the district level, the district court, um, you know, essentially uh, the case happened there. It was appealed. There was a decision. It was appealed to the uh, Ninth Circuit uh, U.S. Court of Appeals, and the Ninth Circuit um, agreed with the plaintiff. In this, in this case, basically the the fans saying that Directv and the NFL could no longer essentially blackout games and require fans to pay more to uh, access. Um, you know, like your your sort of uh, NFL Sunday ticket type uh, package. And, and anybody who's an NFL fan knows this. If you're trying to watch a game on a Sunday, and if you're not in a certain area or you know t- in terms of geographic area or you don't have the package, you're not going to see those games. Um, obviously, there's some other options out there like Red Zone. Obviously, watch highlights, but in terms of actually watching the live full broadcast of a game, it either has to come through the NFL Sunday ticket or you have to be in the General area, geographic area of where that game is is sort of um, uh, being shown, and that's g- generally determined by geographic area, but it's also determined by popularity. So, essentially, plaintiffs have sued, um, you know, saying that this is antitrust activity. Now, of course, the NFL uh, or the the NFL has tried to and is seeking to um, have the U.S. Supreme Court review the Ninth Circuit's decision the Ninth Circuit essentially found for the plaintiffs and then uh, sent the case back down to the district court to determine uh, how this might play out in terms of either remedies or how it might play out in terms of what this practically means in terms of watching an NFL game. So, you know, potentially, uh, obviously, if this case turns out that the NFL loses and um, we're in a position where you know, ultimately, NFL may have to change its policies or whatever it might be. I think the whole point of this podcast is to sort of show um, how that that decision may not actually affect the way fans still see games, uh, and there's there's some there's some important reasons for that. So, looking at this, I, I think there's really sort of three highlights that I want to focus on. And the first is really looking at baseball as a regional sport and the NFL sort of as a national sport, at least in terms of distribution. So, you know, obviously the listener might be thinking, well, what does that have to do with the price of bread, right? Well, you know, ultimately, you know, baseball is referred to as a national pastime, but its distribution model is very much um, a regional game through uh, regional sports networks, through local broadcast. And really, through popularity numbers, if you look at the fan bases, NFL is uh, a lot more popular when it comes to individual numbers of watching games and that sort of thing. Whereas baseball uh, has a lot more games—one hundred and sixty-two compared to sixteen, um, at least for this past season. That may be moving to seventeen, depending on the collective bargaining agreement. But uh, that ultimately, you know, baseball is a a sort of regional game in in. Particularly in the way how it's distributed. Now, the NFL is very much a national game through nationwide networks like Fox and CBS. And of course, popularity numbers will be discussed. You know, so for example, entire conferences appear on one network. So the NFC or the National Football Conference appears on Fox, and the AFC or American Football Conference appears on CBS under existing deals. So the point here is that despite fans being limited in terms of geography and, and how they can view their favorite teams or preferred games through DirecTV options, either you know being limited by blackouts or local popularity, um, the NFL not being forced um, or being forced to not blackout games rather uh, based on existing geography or popularity model that they've been using, it's not going to guarantee that, that fans are going to be able to watch those games. And the reason for that is is that you know as long as those prices are not anti-competitive, you know, in terms of um, they're not doing any sort of collusion. And of course, the other part of this is that sports in general have an antitrust exemption particularly with regard to broadcast. And this is a very well established uh, right. Because frankly, you think about the opposite effect of this in terms of the NFL not being able to control its rights. Uh, You know, it sort of opens up um, an entire can of worms, so to speak, that really kind of undermines the entire process of of sort of what makes sports popular or what what allows them to protect the industry. Now, it's interesting, you know, for the most part, you know, antitrust exemptions are. Uh, rarely given, but when you're talking about sports or public utilities, you know things like this, at least the courts have seen those as right or wrong, have seen those as, um, you know, proper exemptions uh, in those cases. So it's an uphill battle. I think the Supreme Court, if it ever got there would probably um, would probably vote to allow, Uh, baseball or you know sports in general to continue their antitrust exemptions particularly in this case now of course the argument by the plaintiffs in this case is that the nfl the teams and the broadcast networks are all three individual players and they're colluding to mark to set those prices now i think that's a hard argument to make in the nfl namely because the nfl and the teams cannot really be separated you know in some sense you need one for the other right like the, the teams are a part of the NFL. They're subject to the NFL's policies. And then, of course, all the NFL is doing is saying we're selling to this one particular you know, broadcast network. And, of course, they might reserve rights to sell other places. Now, as we go through these sort of three things that I want to talk about with regard to this case and how things are unlikely to change very much even if the court decision uh, sort of uh, turns out to be that it, it – sort of says that DirecTV and the NFL are wrong and they can no longer black out games and control how fans see games through NFL, NFL Sunday ticket and whatnot. That ultimately, I don't think much is going to change just based on the way the model is set up. Now, whether that's the right thing to do from the um, ownership and sort of team standpoint, right, in terms of uh, what the NFL wants to do as a as a collective unit, it may not be the best option, which we'll get into. And we'll sort of give some other examples as to why that might not be the best option. And of course, if you're ever interested, there's a great book on this called The Bottom of the Ninth by an author last named Shapiro, who can't remember his first name, but it's a great book about how in the 1960s, Branch Rickey, who was a um, very well-known and Hall of Fame uh, manager in baseball, or a uh, general manager, front office executive, and started out with the Cardinals, did some work with the Pirates, and of course, uh, most famously with the Dodgers, particularly the Brooklyn Dodgers. And in the 1960s, he had teamed up with um, uh, the Mets uh, owner, or sorry, the um, oh, not the Mets owner, the uh, the mayor of New York, I believe his last name was uh, Shea, William Shea, if I'm getting that right. But he teamed up with him and a few other folks, and basically... Um, they decided that they were trying to expand baseball to what they called the Continental League. Now, ultimately, some of those teams ended up becoming a part of Major League Baseball, Houston Astros, Los Angeles Angels, that sort of thing, Minnesota Twins. And I believe there's one other team. It may have been the uh, Montreal Expos. And, you know, ultimately, the whole point of the book is to sort of describe how the NFL took one path of distribution, baseball took another. Baseball took the regional aspect and route and the football took the national route, and that ultimately the book talks about how the different models led to more popularity for football versus um, declining popularity for baseball. Anyway, fantastic book. Definitely encourage you to reach it out or, or to check it out. And uh, it is uh, called "The Bottom of the Ninth" and by a gentleman uh, last name. Uh, the last name of the author is Shapiro. So, again, that's the first thing. Baseball is regional, foot, uh, football is national. And that ultimately, you know, as a collective unit, the NFL is very powerful. They have an antitrust, antitrust exemption. And uh, that's going to be very difficult to overturn. And even if they were to be forced to sell those games um, and to allow fans to see all games, uh, they're still going to make money on that because they're going to still be able to sell those games to a broadcaster, right? So I think either way, it allows for uh, those types of options. Now, uh, the second reason we're going to look at is that uh, sort of looking at the Dodgers as an example, the Los Angeles Dodgers in baseball. And this is an interesting example because Spectrum, who is the Dodgers carrier there, they signed a 25-year, $8 billion deal uh, back in 2013, I believe, 2012-2013. They actually, Spectrum actually sued, I think it was DirecTV or another provider for antitrust activity because what was happening there is Spectrum was trying to sell its channel to different providers, the Dodgers channel. And um, ultimately, it was found out through a court case and through some fact finding and evidence and through an ultimate decision by a district judge that, and through uh, antitrust activity, uh, that uh, this other provider was essentially colluding with other providers and essentially saying, Hey, let's raise the price on these guys. Let's not, let's not run this channel, that sort of thing. And part of that was because at least um, prospectively in terms of uh, not sort of knowing exactly why they made these decisions, but there was arguments that ultimately this third provider was doing it because they lost out on the initial, initial negotiations with the Dodgers to not be able to carry that channel as a sort of as the primary um, sort of host, I guess you might call it. And uh, so that case turned out in favor of Spectrum. But again, nothing much has changed, right? They were fined a fee, told not to do that. But I think the damage had been done. And now you have, you know, 50% of, I think, Dodgers fans not being able to watch games. And this has been going on since, you know, 2012, 2013. So... You know, again, same think This highlights the fact that even when a lawsuit for antitrust activity comes down and a decision comes down affecting a defendant, and here, in this case the NFL and, the, and DirecTV, it really is not going to change much in the sense that that overall and underlying antitrust exemption still exist, and, and probably for good reason, at least in the sports context. I think there's arguments be made on either side, but I think ultimately having a a central place where folks can go to watch games is pr- probably a good idea. We'll get into why that might not be going forward, but at least for now, there's an antitrust exemption. And then the other part here is, is that when you're looking at existing providers, right, the Spectrums and um, the Coxes and the, um, in terms of the Cox uh, sort of internet providers, uh, Spectrum as an internet provider, but also as a sort of a distributor in, in one way Uh, because they're distributing content, or at least selling content. You know, it's funny that a lot of these companies, um, this is sort of the reason why a lot of um, mergers and acquisitions have been going on, but a lot of these companies, at least on the sort of lower level of distribution, or at least in content creation or ownership, do not have streamer options, you know, in terms of in-house, right? And so there's two issues going on. One, there's not an in-house option. Two... The existing contracts may limit how and where they stream live broadcasted sports, and so in that sense, there's some limitations here. So, even if the NFL was forced to, um, to essentially, you know, blackout game or or not forced, or I guess let me rephrase, if the NFL was in a position where uh, this antitrust decision came down and they essentially said, you know, you can't blackout games anymore. The NFL still may be limited by contract law, and, and frankly, if they have a contract with a distributor and they're not allowed to do streaming options, it would really take the NFL, DirecTV, and some streamer to get together. And the only company I know of that actually has that current in-house option is really AT&T Time Warner through HBO Max. But at least from what's been you know put out there so far, HBO Max is an entertainment platform not going to be used for, for uh, live sports. Now, of course, you could definitely see your pay-per-view matches and you know things like that for boxing and, and um, MMA, but in terms of live broadcasted sports, in terms of baseball or football or whatever it might be, that has not been discussed and not something that um, has been put out there. Maybe it could be, so we'll see where that ends up, but again, the overall antitrust exemption, the fact that courts have really sided with the sports leagues in this in this regard and the teams... And that frankly, there's a lack of in-house options have really um, put it up to where, you know, this is going to be an uphill battle for, um, you know, for, for, for the plaintiffs in this case, which is particularly the fans. So, and of course they could be limited by, con- you know, contract law. So that all being said, I think sort of looking at the last piece here, which is really looking at Amazon as an example. And I think that. You know, ultimately Amazon has done a great job with disrupting itself. When you look at its purchases of um, Zappos shoes, Twitch, it's, its sort of development of Amazon Web Services, the, web, the web-based platform Prime itself, they all originally disrupted uh, existing Amazon revenues and business lines. You know, meaning that, you know, the Zappos purchase, you know, essentially dug into Amazon's Prime business, particularly selling shoes online. Uh, Twitch really dug into Prime in terms of as, as an alternate platform. And Amazon Web Services really sort of dug in in, in terms of um, as an alternate to Prime as a as a sort of distribution platform. Of course, a little bit different there in terms of what Amazon Web Services is providing, particularly as a sort of uh, cloud-based service. But again, I think uh, similar areas. And again, I think the sort of Amazon business plan was to sort of wait five to seven years as an investment approach. And it's something that the, really the teams uh, and leagues should consider. You know, it, I think that professional sports leagues and teams would be wise to move away from exclusive deals to reach, uh, to reach as many fans and advertiser dollars as possible. So either developing and utilizing existing technology and platforms to distribute content is both wise and cost-effective in the long run. Uh, Wide and non-exclusive access, um, I personally believe is much more satisfying and rewarding than narrow and exclusive access for fans and bottom lines. And I think more fans that you're reaching, there's so many options out there these days. You know, give people options to watch a game live on Facebook or watch the game live on YouTube or watch a game live on traditional linear television. You know, give folks those options, especially with people being mobile these days and using their mobile phones and the availability of technology and 5G technology and technology in general in terms of streaming and uh, apps and platforms. I think sort of now is really the time to push the envelope here and uh, for sports to really take it upon themselves to find ways to reach more fans and to get away from the exclusivity to where you might lose money on an exclusive sort of linear your television deal, you're going to gain money in terms of having more partners involved and, frankly, be able to reach more people. So, folks, that's uh, today's episode. Uh, again, today is uh, Monday, March 9th. Hope you have a great week. And uh, we will uh, look forward to uh, being back with, uh, with you next week. And, um, and uh, again, thanks for listening and uh, we will close with an advertisement, and uh, that will be it for this week's show. With home security, there's two ways to go about protecting your home. You can wait weeks for a technician to do a messy install that cost a fortune, or you can get SimpleSafe, the two-time winner of CNET's Editor's Choice Awards. SimplySafe blankets your whole home in safety, Outdoor cameras and doorbells alert you to anyone approaching. Entry, motion, and glass break sensors, guard, break sensors guard inside. You can set up system all by yourself, and it only takes 30 minutes. You have an army of high, highly trained security experts ready to dispatch police in a moment's notice 24-7. 50 cents a day with no contracts. Go to simplysafecom slash team today, and you'll get free shipping a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now and be sure to go to simplysafe.com slash team. That's simplysafe.com slash team. Thank you.